We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he will be teaching through a series on Titus. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stuart. Well, today we're finishing up chapter 2 um, of Titus. And we've been working through this outline that first dealt in chapter 1 with leadership and how they are to be effective in their leadership and how that is to benefit and be a blessing to the health of the church. In chapter 2, we've dealt with membership and how we are all a part of being a healthy church by the way God admonishes us as, as we deal with the older and the younger men and women and their roles and responsibilities within the household of faith. So without delay, I would like for us to consider as we wrap up this last section in Titus chapter 2, as we deal really with the salvation of church members and that effect on their lives. We worship a great God who is able to save and able to deliver and able to execute His desires for us in our lives as believers. And thus, we are going to learn of these expectations as Followers of Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Titus, chapter 2, and let us read together verse 11 to 15. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession zealous for good works, good deeds. These things speak, exhort, reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Three things I want us to gather from the text today that I believe will help us live out our Christian lives as members of the local body of Christ, ultimately the universal body of Christ. First, I would like for you to consider the extent of the gospel. Secondly, the exhortation of the gospel. And thirdly, the expectation of the gospel. Let us first consider the extent of the gospel. Paul says here in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. I want us to consider first, that salvation is considered the grace of God. Now, I don't know if you know what grace is, but grace is getting something you and I don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. And I believe this to be very true. Why? Well, because the Bible is very clear that we as humans are hopeless without a personal relationship with the living God. The Bible says that you and I and all people have sinned. That Greek word is harmartia. It's an archery term. When an archer desires to draw back his bow, he has one intention, and that is to hit the bullseye. Sin means you've missed the mark. And the reality is the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and I all have something very in common. We come into this world, Psalm 51.5 says, born into iniquity. Born into sin. And we all miss the mark. 
You see, in order to get to heaven, you must be as perfect as God. How is that even possible? You just said we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, I hope that I can clarify it for you. Because the reality is, is God, when He saves us, deems us as righteous, holy, and set apart. He justifies us. This the doctrine of justification to be declared right before Almighty God. You see, we've broken the law of God. We've broken the standards of God. And because we've broken the standards of God, the the law of God, all of humanity, not a few, you and me and all human beings are in need of deliverance. We are in need of fixing. We are in need of reestablishing this broken relationship with God. Because when God created us, He created us in unity and fellowship with Him. But Isaiah 59 two says, Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. And, and, and He doesn't even hear from us because of our sin. And so here's man's problem. We're staying, we're separated, we're in enmity with God. And man in his best attempts tries to get there by good works, by morality, by doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But in reality, all of those things fall short of the glory of God. The problem you and I have is we are absolutely hopeless in our own strength and in our own abilities. And without it, we are left. And thus, we need God to fix our problems. The Bible says, again, we've fallen short. We've sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. And because we've broken the law of God, listen to me very clearly, there is a penalty for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You go to work, you work 30, 40, 50 hours a week, you earn a wage, you get paid on Friday, you rejoice, you go shopping, you buy groceries, you do whatever you do, but you've earned that wage. And the Bible says because you have sinned, you have the penalty of death on your life. Maybe not physical death at this point, you will physically die. Every single one of us will end up in a box or in a an incinerator, unless Jesus returns, the reality is is you will die. But more importantly, because of sin, there is a spiritual death. Remember in the garden, God said you may freely eat from all of these wonderful trees, but the day you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And they died just as God had promised. We have a penalty for the sin that we've committed against a holy and righteous God. And unless God steps in and on the scene and does what God does, for not that you loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son into the world, we are left hopeless, eternally separated from God, and we'll end up in a place called hell. Just what you came to hear this morning, isn't it? You know the problem in the pulpits in America is we don't preach about hell. Heaven don't sound so good unless you know what hell is. Fall isn't near as great if you haven't had a bad summer. But when you live in the south and it's August, you praying for November. Not October because October is hot. When we understand the absolute eternal torment that will exist for those who have failed to put their faith in Jesus Christ. When we understand that, then we can give God praise and honor and glory for what He has provided through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Heaven. Listen, because we've broken the law of God, you may say, Pastor, I'm a good person. Well, listen, um, that ain't what the Bible says. Somebody said the other day, why does bad things happen to good people? And I love what R.C. Sproul said, I've yet to meet a good man. We ain't good people. Left to our own, my friend. We are capable of capable of the most hideous 
sin you could ever imagine. I mean, it need not just peek around the corner in today's society and look at a world who has rejected God. That is even with the Spirit of God present. Can you imagine the removal of the Holy Spirit from the earth? Wow. We are very capable. Yeah, you've lied. You've stolen, probably. You've looked at a man or woman with lust in your heart. That's just three of the Ten Commandments. If you really want to be a legalist, carry all the commandments. We worship idols. You say, well, we don't have any golden statues, Pastor. No, but we worship money. We worship fame. We worship authority. We worship the material possessions. You see in idols anything that replaces God. We are filled with bitterness as a nation, as a people. We're filled with anger and strife and disunity. And because we've broken the law of God, the payment of sin is eternal death and separation from God. And unless God provides a way, then we will earn this eternal punishment. The Thessalonians promises one day He will be dealing out His retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has promised it. Paul reminds Titus here and to all of us really in verse 11, but God. <laughs> you see, when, when we can elevate the, 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 the terrible reality for which we live and then we can come in and we can give hope and we can say, but God. <laughs> for the grace of God has appeared. I don't know about you, but I need the grace of God in my life. Every day I need the grace of God. I need the reminder in my life every minute of every day because of my inabilities and my incapabilities and my disposition to want to do that which the flesh desires. And so I call out on God every day. Thank you, God, for your grace. But Titus wants us to understand that the grace of God has appeared. He has appeared. Have you considered the grace of God on your life today? Now I'm certain that some have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, but let me remind you that God's grace has still been applied to your life. How? Well, with common grace. What is common grace, you ask? Well, I thought you would never ask. Common grace, listen, is the universal favor that God grants to both believer and unbeliever. The, the, the rain falls on the just and the, the unjust. Though the grace of God is commonly linked, listen, to the divine act of God through the method of salvation, when we are talking about common grace, we are talking about how God grants favor among all people through all time, but not the specific favor that He grants only for those He grants saving grace to. Common grace is therefore different than saving grace which is God's particular favor granted to those believers for the purpose of bringing them from death to life, from the power of Satan to God, so that they might be saved, that they might be delivered. These two may not be confused, lest you dabble with universalism, and that is heresy. The grace which we find here in Titus, my friend, is saving grace. It's saving grace. It, it, it's a grace that ought to make us stand up and shout, praise God for what He has done through His Son Jesus Christ. 
to saving grace, listen, that is sufficient for every single one of you today. Now, I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know what you believe saves you. I don't know what you think will get you into the gates of heaven to live for eternity with Christ. But listen to me very clearly. The grace of God that has been revealed is a saving grace that is brought about through Jesus Christ alone. Period. Alone. No good works, no good deeds, no, no, no traditional values. None of that will ever get you through the front gate of heaven's doors. It is by the saving grace of Jesus Christ, which I want to emphasize is sufficient for all, but only efficient to those who believe. It is the saving grace for which we find in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only our sins, but also those for those of the whole world. It is a grace that's saving. It is a sufficient grace for all. But notice only efficient. To those who believe the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that which saves them. Because remember, we have been inherited a penalty of sin. And the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection is the payment for that penalty by which you don't have to hang on a cross. You don't have to spend eternity in hell. No, Jesus Christ was your substitute for that penalty of sin. Your good works can't satisfy the just penalty of sin. Your deeds, your efforts, nothing you can do in your own ability. No, this is a saving grace that is able to save even the worst of sinners, such as myself. It's a grace that appeared from God, bringing salvation to all. Though all do not respond to the grace of God, I'm extremely aware of that as a pastor. Many reject the gospel out of the delusion of their mind that they can somehow, some way, make their way to heaven without Jesus. John 1, 9-13 says this was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world and the world came into being through Him and yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own. And His own people did not accept Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see and understand the grace of God? It's a work of God. When we walk out of here, we ought to be rejoicing in who God is. And who we are not. We ought to be elevating God in our lives. To have a high view of God and a low view of ourselves. Of course people reject salvation. It's sad, but it's a reality. John 3.19, this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world and men what? Love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Listen, they rejected, they loved their sin. In the same day in which we live, the pagan world loves their sin. They love their idolatry. They love their money. They love their prosperity. They love their fame. They love their wickedness. And they don't want what God offers. Because they reject but it doesn't negate the reality of its sufficiency. It calls us to keep things in perspective, doesn't it? Second Peter 3, 9 
says the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, if you're in the sound of my voice, don't reject the gospel. Because when you get to heaven, if you're in this church, you have no excuse. Because I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to tell you the narrow way. Because the narrow way is the only way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Not through a method, not through a way, not through your best works, not through your deeds, but rather through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ which you obtain by faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for which we can celebrate because He is alive. We don't worship a dead God. We worship a living Jesus. They rejected sin. They loved their sin. But the extent of the gospel, my friends, is for all. It's not too late for you today. God has given you breath in your lungs. He has given you this morning the grace to respond to His call on your life, to repent and believe the gospel, to turn away from your sin, your wretchedness, and turn to Christ for forgiveness. For He has paid the penalty on Calvary's cross. But many will reject as they have for all of eternity. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. Verse 11. Notice if you will that it is God's grace that appeared. Bringing salvation to all men. It's not your works, not your efforts, not your deeds, your morality, your accomplishments, but rather the grace of Christ. Listen, the gospel, my friends, is the power to save. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says it's the gospel that's the power to save. Paul said, I delivered to you what is of first importance, that the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gave up His Son a life, a ransom for many. It's very sad, isn't it, to think about the grace of God bringing about salvation for all men and that some would actually reject Him. Listen, the penalty for sin has been handled by God to those who will believe the gospel. You see, in order to even be considered part of the universal body of Christ, a member of the local body of Christ, You must be born again. He has made it available to you today through the extent of the gospel. So you say, well, pastor, this is a hard message. Well, I hope it's hard. But the answer, the solution to the problem is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. We must experience the sufficiency of Christ covering the penalty of sin in our lives. So we've seen the extent of the gospel, that it's sufficient for all, that, it's, that, it, that, 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 that your payment for sin has been paid through the cross at Calvary. But secondly, I want you to see the exhortation of the gospel. The exhortation of the gospel is that if we're going to be a healthy church, meaning that all church members in the body of Christ Local and universal, we are to follow the instructions of living out the obedient Christian life. We don't like talking about obedience in 2021. It's like the S word, submission, like sin word, the O word, obedience. Notice what he says here in chapter 2, verse 12. Because God has brought about His grace, bringing salvation to all men, that is, the whosoever wills, both Jew, Gentile, slave, and free. As we looked at last week, you are submitting unto your bosses. We are now going to be exhorted to walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. Titus 2.12 says, instructing us, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Listen, God's grace has given us the payment 
for the penalty of sin. And as well, He has now, as a believer, given us the power over sin. He's not going to call you to walk in obedience if He didn't give you the ability to do it. That would make no sense. He calls us to do four things really in light of our cultural context today. The first thing He calls us to do is to deny ungodliness. To deny ungodliness. You could say that we are called to renounce. To give up the things that are not honoring to God. We are to say no to ungodliness. Plain and simple, we are to renounce sin in our lives. Sin is always creeping, isn't it? It's always trying to make it into our lives. Whatever the circumstances of our lives in which we find ourselves, there is that temptation to fall into sin. To do the very things that dishonor God. So the reality is we call to renounce the sin in our life. And as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, we're called to put away the sin in our lives. Reminds us that there is no temptation. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's no temptation that's overtaken us. But that which is what? Common to man. And God will provide a way of escape. He's given you the ability as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, born again, to walk the victorious Christian life. He will provide a way of escape. We are to put away sin. And thus, if we are going to talk about being a healthy church, really, because this is all about the anatomy of a healthy church, if family Bible fellowship, this local body of believers are to be a lighthouse in a wicked world, we're to put away sin and to be set apart, to be holy as He is holy. We're no longer to live in sin. We're no longer to walk and live in habitual sin. And if you can live your life and you can walk in habitual sin, and it doesn't matter what you think, what matters what the Word of God calls evil. We live in a world that calls evil good and good evil. Listen, the Bible tells you what is sin and appropriate. You can think that what this or that is okay, but the Bible declares if it's sin, it's sin. You, you can't get around it. And if you can live in habitual sin, then maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ like you think. Because He who began a good work in you will see it to completion, He says. He, he will work that sin out of your life. It's the process of sanctification. We're to put it away. John chapter 16, verse 8 reminds us that the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer at conversion will convict your life of sin. And so thus, if you can live in sin and there's no conviction of sin, then maybe there's no indwelling of the Spirit of God in you to convict you of the sin which you ought to be convicted of. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. And I'm glad the Spirit of God dwells in me so that when I do sin, He convicts me of that sin so that I can repent and claim 1 John 1, 9 because it says if you confess your sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is to the believer, not the unbeliever. He has granted us as a believer and as an indwelt follower of Christ with the Spirit of God Power over sin. He says in John 16, 8, And He, when He comes, will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. The mark of a true Christian, listen, isn't that you one time prayed a prayer, but that you deny ungodliness. And when you fail, you admit your failures, and you repent of those sins because you are in this flesh. And as long as you are in this flesh, you will be bombarded by the things of this world. I always say it's not about perfection. Jesus is the only perfect one. 
But He calls us to be holy for He is holy. Why? Because it's no longer I who live, but what Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.21 It's not about perfection, but direction. Are you being sanctified? If you were to take a video of my life every time I made a mistake, you'd say, dude, you're a horrible person. But if you were to look at my life experience, you would see a progressive sanctification in which I'm growing in my relationship more and more into Christ. God is teaching me in 2021 to keep my mouth shut. That's me. I don't know about you, but it seems the more I open my mouth, I find myself in trouble. So I've just learned to keep my mouth shut. It's a process, isn't it? It's it's a process of sanctification. It's progressive. So the mark of a Christian is that you walk with Him in obedience. And when you fail, you trust Him to forgive you and get back up and press on. You you don't focus on what happened back then. You focus on the goal that lies ahead. We are all in a race. At least we should be. Run as to win the prize, my friend. Repent. The mark of a true Christian is that you will be your obedient. This is the way the church will remain healthy and vibrant when we reject sin and when we repent of it. And then he says in the next section, not only instructing us to deny ungodliness, he says instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Listen, I could preach a whole message right here on this. What are the worldly desires? Or you could interpret it worldly passions. In John, 1 John 2.15, we are told, don't love the world, nor the things in the world. Forgive me if I get passionate here. Because I'm fixing to get passionate. Stop loving the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The word used here for world is cosmos. The the, the world has extensive meanings in the Scriptures and can be represented in, in, in creation and humanity and in the world system. For example, when the Bible speaks of the Lord making this world, He is speaking of its creation. When it tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have eternal life, He's talking about humanity. When the Bible commands us to not love the world, it's speaking of its system. It is teaching us to avoid worldly desires. You must avoid these things. Too many people are trying to get here on earth what is only available in heaven. Stop it. This is not our home. This is not our world. We are sojourners passing through. This isn't my home. I'm simply here trying to recruit people for the future place. We must avoid these things. Listen, just like an unfaithful husband who loses his love and appreciation for his wife, a believer is in a relationship with the world will lose their love for the Father. And the church that gets all wrapped up in the things of this world will, listen, lose their love for Jesus Christ. And we will be Like the church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Let me read it. Revelation 2, verse 4. I'll start. Verse 2. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. That sounds positive, doesn't it? 
That you cannot tolerate evil men. That's good. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. You have perseverance and have endured for My name's sake. And you have not grown weary. Verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I wonder how many here today, in the sound of My voice, seem to be living out the obedient Christian life. But at the bottom, they have left their first love, which is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not that you've lost your salvation. That could never happen. But maybe the world has distracted you so much you haven't even thought about Jesus. We don't want to be like that. Have you left your first love? Has your busyness or even your business made you forget about your first love? Has your first love been forgotten? Has it caused you to miss out on your love for Christ? Listen, I can't answer that for you. I can only persuade myself to consider the question. When we get wrapped up in all the things of this world, listen, we lose sight of Jesus. Our first love. The prodigal son you see in Luke 15 lost sight, didn't he? Of his Love for the Father. Why? Well, he started getting his eyes on all the worldly things, the goods and the pleasures, and they drew him away with their lust. It's not until he lost everything that he came home broken and humiliated. And at that moment, he found true love in the Father, in his arms, as the Father ran out to meet him which was culturally inappropriate for a man to pull up his girds and run after his son. But he was excited. When he had nothing to show for his foolish choices, the father, even in his rebellion, loved him. Friends, this world does not love you, nor the things in this world. They will not profit you. As I sat this morning and I pondered this, I thought, well, maybe it's a good business year this year. We made a lot of money. Who cares? Because when you're dead and in a box, somebody else is going to get everything you worked for your entire life. And I can promise you, they're not going to spend it like you spend it. They're not going to use it like you use it. You've gained all these promotions and all these accolades and all these diplomas on the wall. You walk in malls, you don't see a diploma on the wall because they mean nothing to me. Because none of that matters when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. What matters is have we left our first love? How about us as a church? Do we have the yearning and the desire to be together on Wednesday nights and Sunday schools and to fellowship with one another? Have we lost that yearning to be together, to serve together, to be concerned with one another? Or has the things of this world drawn us away from what's most important? And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't be fooled. But worldly passions, they're fool's gold. Love not the world or its system. It will fail you. It will distract you from that which is eternal.
And if we're going to be a healthy church, vibrant, doing the work that God has called us to do, then we need to be like an aircraft carrier with every boot on deck. Preparing as we gather together and then launching out during the week and proclaiming the hope of Christ to a world who is desperately in need of Jesus. Don't get wrapped up in the worldly desires. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the material things of this world. Yes, we need material things. Yes, we need finances. Yes, we need all of those things. But we better take them off the altar and put them where they belong. Put them in their proper perspective. And for you, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's not your finance and maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's your finances, your material things. Whatever distracts you from your relationship with God is in proper place. And we need to put it in its proper perspective. In order to be a healthy church, listen, we must do away with worldly passions and desires. Paul is instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to now live sensibly, he says, righteously and godly in this present age. Unlike the false teachers in chapter 1, verse 16, who deny God, we are called To live sensibly. It's the same Greek word that we've translated over and over and over as self-control. Christians are to exemplify self-control. Why? Well, because it's a fruit of the Spirit. We are called to be of the world, but not in the world, but of the world. We we need to balance that with self-control. I love what one commentator said is this. The true learning of heaven must be beginning with the unlearning and laying off of all which stands in the way of the development of the new man or the new woman. You are a new creation in Christ. The old things have what passed away. Behold, the new have come. You can certainly live up to this call as a believer. Why? Because you are genuinely a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. That should be your life. So when we start living out our old selves, walking in the flesh, we're not walking in the Spirit. And the Spirit that indwells every believer at conversion. The fact that you are a follower of Jesus Christ means you are indwelt with the Spirit of God. He has given you the power to overcome sin in your life. He has given you the power to overcome the lustful desire. He has given you the power to overcome the desire for the prosperity that this world offers in exchange for the eternal value which is not seen because we are called to focus on that which is not seen, not to focus on that which is seen, for that which is unseen is eternal. Don't exchange the temporal for the eternal. He calls us to live sensibly. But he also says here in verse 12, righteously and godly in this present age. And so we are not only to live sensibly and self-control, the text says righteously and godly. I combined those two together. We are to do things from a right standing with pure motives. We're to put off the things of this world in which they offer. They're ungodly behaviors. We are to exemplify righteous behavior, which is the result of true conversion in the life of the believer. And the grace of God teaches us to live self-controlled, upright in godly lives. And when we learn to do that, the text says, in this present age, we need to be reminded it's victory in Christ. This wasn't something... For them specific in their day. No, this is an imperative even for us today in 2021 where we find ourselves in this world, in this nation. Listen, the world may be acting crazy. 
Everything may seem to be ungodly and unrighteous. For the believer, we are called to be upright, to live godly in this present age. We've never been able to be so set apart than today. It only takes a minute to find out if you are set apart, if you're living like the world. Because this world is so far left. It's bad. And what we've done is we've dumbed down Christianity and righteousness and holiness so that we're not offensive. Read the Bible. They killed Christians. They stoned Paul. They didn't like their righteous living and they will not like your righteous living. Be the standard by which people know I should follow Christ and be like you. For you are following in the footsteps of Paul, which follow in the footsteps of Christ. You're called to be faithful. Listen, we are the bride of Christ. We are born again. We have a new nature. We are no longer slaves to sin, but rather to righteousness. When we were lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, we had a bent towards sin. We choose only to live in error and sin. But when we've been born again, we've been given a new nature. And now we can live and please God in our righteousness for His glory's sake. So I don't think it's too much for Paul to call Titus, to call, be, to, to, to call us to be faithful to righteousness and godly behavior. I mean, it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 that says, um, be it as much as is possible with you, be at peace with all people and, and, and be sanctified for which out without sanctification you will not even sniff heaven. It must be a progressive holiness, sanctification in which you're growing in your relationship with Christ. You've been created to do good works for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? You've been created by Almighty God, born from above, given new life, off with the old, on with the new, to do good works. And the question is, are we working for Christ? So whatever the circumstance we find ourselves, whether now or in 20 years down the road, we are called to live out these examples of Christ's likeness because we are part of the universal body of Christ, meeting in the local body of Christ for the glory of God. We've seen the extent of the gospel. And how Christ has paid for the penalty of sin. We've seen the exhortation of the gospel that we are to live out our salvation. He's given us the ability through the power of the Spirit of God to have power over sin. And now we're going to see the expectation of the gospel for which we look forward to a day when there is no presence of sin. When there is no presence of sin. Paul continues to teach Titus and us Christians that the church should be looking, verse 13, for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify Himself, a people for His own possession. We as the church are called to be living out a life of expectation. Listen, I know we live in a world that seems out of control. There is no greater time in which to live today that God has granted us breath in 2021. To be believers and examples and followers of Christ for the world to see. To call people to repentance. To call people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because the day is drawing near when He will burst through those clouds and it will be absolutely too late. We need to be looking 
for the return of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Not some man into political power. It's fool's gold, my friends. This is not our world. Daniel says that God places men into authority. God's in control. You know, the left tries to cast fear. Amen? The right, if not careful, will do the same thing. And they will cast fear. When you are in Christ, there is no right, there is no left. There's Christ. He is sovereign. He is in control. And He will have victory. Let not the world live your life out for you in fear because when fear moves in, faith moves out. The two cannot cohabitate. And listen, it's just as equal to cause fear in the, this side as it is to cause fear on the other side. We are looking and literally waiting the return of Christ. Listen, the living of the Christian life is always in the context of waiting. That means that the present always related to the future. Awaiting is literally looking for with confidence that the search will be successful. To wait in this context therefore include the expectation and the confidence that what is being awaited for will come to pass. The future blessed encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ will bring total and permanent removal of sin. But that will never happen on this earth. Stop trying to make here on earth what is only available in heaven. This is Satan's world. He is the God of this world. At least that's what Jesus said. And if He is the God of this world, sin will always reign. But know this, just as you are justified, just as you are being sanctified, one day, my friend, you will be glorified. And the salvation which you have in Christ will allow you to enter into heaven where there will be no sin. And where sin is absent, so is pain, so is suffering, so is war, so is poverty, so is racism, so is inequality, so is all of the mess we live in today. So what we ought to be doing is rejoicing and looking forward to the hope of Christ. It was Fernanda Ortega, Ortega, sorry, that sang a song, Give Me Jesus. In the morning... When I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. Listen, we should be looking forward to His coming. He came the first time in the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. A servant on a donkey. He abolished death. He brought life and immorality to light through the gospel. It says in 1 Timothy 1, 8-10, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not only our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Let me read that again because somebody needs that reminder this morning. Who saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. God knows what He's doing. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immorality to light. How? Through the Gospel. 
If we want this world to see its sin, we must be gospel preachers. When's the last time you shared your faith with someone? Tell them about Jesus Christ, that He is the only way to salvation. Yes, God loves you, but my friend, God hates your sin. Even if you've lived a perfect life, a good life, you haven't been perfect, the good news is neither has anyone else. There's a payment for sin, isn't there? In His death, in His separation. But God in His great grace and mercy saw our inability, brought His Son Jesus Christ to walk and to live perfectly because you and I could not. He died on the cross and He literally took your sin upon Him at Calvary so that when God sees you, He no longer sees you, but He sees the righteousness of Christ. For He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We should be looking for His coming. He came the first time. It's a servant. Oh, He is coming. And now we highly await His return. And we look forward to it. And then that powerful teaching that Paul gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, we learn about His coming and what He will accomplish, and thus we should be looking forward. He says, I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing in His kingdom. Oh, He's coming back again. I believe what we find here isn't a picture of the rapture, but the second coming. I I await the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when He comes in His second coming, He will come on a white horse with with, with a to, to bring back Righteous judgment on this world. And everything that's really sin, that the world believes is good, He will reveal. We ought to be looking for the blessed hope in His appearing. The glory of our great God, Jesus Christ. It's time to put the priority back to the things of God in our lives. Listen, what better thing is there to look forward to than the return of our Savior? I wonder if any of us, many of us, maybe don't even think about the return of Christ. Because in reality, we don't have time for Christ. You remember the time that you used to have with Jesus? That intimate, one-on-one relationship with Christ. In your personal quiet time when you would open your Word and you would read it. You would memorize it. You would hide it in your heart. God would teach you things and He would bring to your remembrance all that He said to you. You used to look forward to encouraging the other saints to walk firm in the faith with what God has taught you in His living and active Word. But in reality, this world has drowned you out. And if we're going to be honest, Jesus has no place outside of Sunday morning. The modern day Sunday Christian. And six days a week we live however we want. I think that's why we encounter difficulties in life. Because it's in those moments when we remember God. I want to remember God. Not in those moments. But before they ever come. Because when I look at men and women walking through struggles of life. And I see their encouragement from God through their word. It encourages me to be faithful so that whatever may come in that circumstance, I can honor the Lord Jesus Christ and I can give Him the praise. We need to be faithful. He says here in 2 Timothy 4.8, In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also those who have loved His appearing. I'm I'm sorry if I seem unconcerned about the temporal things of this world. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I look forward to the Lord taking me home to eternity. Like a soldier would look forward to 
helicopter coming in when he's in a pension, pulling him out. I'm looking forward to Christ's return. It will be absolutely wonderful and it will be absolutely terrifying when he comes. It just depends on which side of the line you're on. We will be looking for the blessed hope and the peering of the glory of our God and great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself, He says, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify Himself for a people of His own possession, zealous for good deeds. He came that He might redeem us, but He came that we might have a passion and a desire for the things of God. Listen, when you put your faith in Christ, He takes up residence in you. Yes, salvation is certainly by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But that faith that saves, listen, my friends, is never alone. It's always accompanied by good works. Because He who began a good work will see it to completion. Listen, when you are saved, you're indwelt with the Spirit of God. And when you're indwelt with the Spirit of God, listen, He comes to a dead soul and creates new life. Titus 3.5 the indwelling of the Spirit confirms to the believer that he belongs to the Lord and that he is an heir of Almighty God. Romans 8, 15-17. The indwelling of the Spirit, listen, installs a new believer as a member of Christ's universal church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The indwelling of the Spirit gives spiritual gifts to His children. For the edification of the church and to serve the Lord effectively. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The indwelling of the Spirit, listen, helps the believer understand and apply the Scriptures to his daily life. 1 Corinthians 2, 12. The indwelling of the Spirit enriches the believer's prayer life and intercedes for him in prayer. Romans 8, 26 and 27. The indwelling Holy Spirit empowers the yielded believer to live for Christ, to do His will, to accomplish His purpose. Galatians 5, 16. Spirit leads the believer in the path of righteousness. Romans 8.14 The indwelling Spirit gives evidence of new life by producing within Him the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22-23 The indwelling of the Spirit is grieved when the believer sins and convicts the world of sin and calls us to confess that our fellowship is restored in 1 John 1.9 And finally, the indwelling Spirit seals the believer until the day of redemption so that the believer's arrival in the Lord's present is guaranteed after this life. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. We should certainly be zealous for the good deeds as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, born again of the King of kings and Lord of lords, because we understand the extent of the gospel, that our penalty of sin has been paid for because we understand the exhortation of the gospel that sin no longer has power over us, but we rather, because of the Spirit, have power over it and because we understand the expectation that we look forward to the day when there will be the absence of sin in our lives, a glorification. And thus we look forward to the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and our Savior we certainly fulfill the command of Titus which was given by Paul and we should encourage one another in the last verse when he says, speak these things. Exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. In Paul's apostolic authority, he gives authority to Titus who in return calls us to speak and exhort and reprove these things with all authority. It's not my authority. It's not by Titus's authority. And ultimately, it's not even by Paul's authority, but rather the authority of Almighty God. Thus, if we are going to be a healthy church, then we need to be a church who's on fire for Jesus and being obedient to the Christian life. Listen, I care not about the opinions of man. But rather what the Word of God says. And if you want to get so busy doing something and wrapped up in something, 
get wrapped up in speaking these things and exhorting these things and reprove with all authority, teach and encourage and stand against with the authority of God and make sure, my friend, no one disregards you for what you are doing is biblical. Members are Christians. Christians are to stay focused on task. And so I ask you today, choose this day whom you will serve. Thank you for listening to our program today. We pray that you were blessed and trust that you will join us again as Pastor Stuart Guthrie preaches through his new series on the book of Titus. If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.